Amen. Thanks, worship team. Appreciate it. Hello, everyone. Glad you guys made it. This is You guys are like an adventurous community. I got a call from Cameron, and I was like, what are we going to do? And then it's fine. <laughs> it worked out. It was great. Um, hey, one quick plug, one more plug for D-Class. Returners, we're encouraging you to come because we've changed it. Yeah. If you've been to D-Class before, you're not going to recognize D-Class. Well, actually, probably will. It's, it's, it's a lot of the same stuff. But, but... We have, me and Brady have been meeting and, uh, and, and we've been rearranging some material. We've injected um, small group discussion groups that'll happen right in the class itself to engage and interact with and dialogue about the stuff that we talk about. It's, it's going to be great. We're really excited. And all, your, all the senior staff will be there. We're coming to D-Class too. We're going to be a part of it. We want to participate in this new reboot of the class. We want to be in there with you. We want to help facilitate some of your learning more directly. We are excited to be there with you. So... If you're not planning on coming, you should change that plan and come. All right? Okay. Thanksgiving. We just had Thanksgiving. I hope it was all right for you. I know, I know that going home can be kind of a mixed bag for some people, but I hope that for, for uh, uh, yours was, was really good. My favorite Thanksgiving food, easy, no question, not even a conversation or debate, is apple pie. Oh, apple pie. I love apple pie. And lucky me, apple pie is one of those magical foods that fits in both Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so not only tonight do I get to look back on the apple pie that I had just last weekend, but I also get to look forward to the coming apple pie in just a few weeks. I'm so excited about it. Um, In fact, when when I first started dating Jessica, we started dating in the summer, and my birthday's in the fall. Okay? I first started dating Jessica. She found out that apple pie was my favorite dessert of all the desserts in all the earth. And so she told me the day before my birthday, she said, hey, instead of making you a birthday cake, I'm going to make you an apple pie. Which, if you think about it, is a dangerous proposition. If you're dating an apple pie fanboy like myself, that's risky. See, my mom makes the best apple pie I've ever had. She makes it the same way every time, and I love it. I've had a lot of apple pies, and nothing stacks up to mom's. And here's the deal. Mom's pie has that edge of, like, comfort food, right? It's like, my mommy made this one, (laughs) right? So there's this whole, like, sentimental advantage that my mom's pie has over Jessica's because we just hadn't been dating that long. So then I thought, how am I supposed to respond if it's not that good? (laughs) I'm sorry. This is reality, friends. You think this stuff through. I'm a fairly new boyfriend at this point, but I'm also committed to honesty, which is one of my downfalls. If I don't like it, am I going to tell her? And if I don't tell her, then do I have to pretend to like it for the rest of our relationship at all my special apple pie times? <laughs> this was a dilemma. So my birthday rolls around. I have like a day to figure this out. Birthday rolls around. She makes this big show of like cutting me a piece, watching me take the first bite. I'm like, ah, I'm sweating. And I put the bite in my mouth. And suddenly, like a gospel choir... In full voice, my taste buds start to sing. 
Her pie was actually amazing. It was so good. No pretense. I did not say, because I'm your boyfriend, I have to say I like it. I was actually blown away. And now I'm stuck with her for life. I still say, it's the best apple pie I've ever had. She makes the best apple pie you've ever had. If you need like a mouth blessing, have muscle my wife's apple pie. If you get a chance, oh yes, your taste buds are going to lose it. Somehow her crust is like moist and flaky. It's magical. Perfect blend of sour plus sweet. All your senses. It looks good. It looks like it would be on a magazine. The sweet apple cinnamon smell that like fills the room when she takes it out of the oven. Even the sound of like forking through that crust. Feeling that bite go into your mouth. It's like a, a, an experience. It's wonderful. All five senses involved. And that's what food can do, right? Especially special food. Special food can do that. Food that's hooked to like special traditions or holidays or some big event in our lives, right? It's a very human thing, I think, to mark important events with food, isn't it? Every culture marks significant moments with a meal, don't we? We do this at weddings, right? Oh, hey. There's this big table where people eat food together. Cam and Kristen served pies. It was wonderful. I was in heaven. Or we have birthday cakes to mark a year in someone's life. But we have these special meals together to mark significant moments as a way of saying, in a way, why we're eating together puts meaning and value into what we're eating. Right? And it says something about who we're eating it with. Meals matter. Special meals in particular, they collect people. They, they say something connective about the people who are eating together. And this is true in the Bible, too. Throughout this history of God's people, throughout this, the pages of this library, we see significant events in their history marked by significant Communal, festive meals. Throughout the Jewish calendar, there are festivals, feasts, designed to help God's people remember what he's like, remember, recall what he's done. And the most significant event that has given shape to Jewish history and culture and their whole collective consciousness was the Exodus. See, the story of God's people just to give you a quick blitz through the Old Testament up to this point, uh, the first two books of the Old Testament, the story of God's people starts with a family who, after three generations, has to move to Egypt to survive a famine. And in Egypt, they grow into a whole people group called the Hebrews. Later, they call themselves Israel, the name of one of their grandfathers. And they grow to be such a large people group that the Egyptians who they lived with got scared that they would try to take over. So Egypt beat them to it. They forcibly made the Hebrews their slaves. They murdered their children so they wouldn't keep populating Egypt. And literally worked them to death, building their monuments and temples. Excuse me. And these people, God's people, cry out to God. They say, deliver us. We are poor. We are prisoners. We are oppressed. And God hears them. And God answers their cries. 
and in a history that you've got to read for yourself, in the first 14 chapters of the book of Exodus, it's the second book in the Bible, God confronts everything the Egyptians thought was powerful with a demonstration of his own power, plague after plague, on the things they worshipped. And Egypt, at the end of it all, allows God's people to go free. God freed them. And there's a lot more to Israel's story after that, but that moment, that moment in their history of leaving Egypt, of their exodus out of slavery, becomes the most significant symbol to them of their identity as God's people. And how do they make sure they never forget what God's like and what he's done for them? They set up a meal. And they call it the Festival of Unleavened Bread. Because they left Egypt in the middle of the night before the next day's bread had a chance to rise. So it's real flat bread, not given a chance to rise. Look at this from uh, Exodus 12, uh, verse 17, then we'll jump down to verse 24. God says to Israel, celebrate this festival of unleavened bread, for it will remind you that I brought your forces out of the land of Egypt on this very day. This festival will be a permanent law for you. Celebrate this day from generation to generation. And then down to verse 24. Remember these instructions are a permanent law that you and your descendants must observe forever. When you enter the land the Lord has promised to give you, you will continue to observe this ceremony. Then your children will ask, what does this ceremony mean? And you will reply, it's the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. For he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt, and though he struck the Egyptians, he spared our families. So every year, every Jewish family would celebrate the festival of unleavened bread, or Passover, as it's often called. The head of every family would retell the story of God's deliverance to their children. And then at each moment of the story, they would eat parts of the feast and smell certain smells and hear words and see decorations in their home that help tell the story and touch the different pieces of food and the clothing that they wore to mark the occasion. All five senses involved. That's part of why feasts are so helpful to memory. They fire on all our memory sensors. This quarter, we've been talking about how unchanging God is. How the, the God of the Old Testament is faithful to his character and conduct all the way through the New Testament, all the way through that to today. So, if the Old Testament God of the Exodus, the deliverer of people from oppression, if he were to show up in the New Testament, what do you think he'd be like? What sorts of things do you think he would say? He might say something like this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, and that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. That is Jesus' first sermon in Luke chapter 4. The first public teaching that Luke puts in the mouth of Jesus or records that Jesus said for us. And doesn't that just make sense? If Jesus is the same God who delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt, 
Doesn't it make sense that if we follow him, he will lead us out of slavery of any kind today? Doesn't it make sense that he would train his followers to help others lead others out of slavery? Doesn't it make sense that Danielle is going to Swaziland because she follows Jesus? Doesn't it make sense that that's the kind of people we want to be? Because it's who Jesus was, what he modeled for us, what God is like. Now, personally, you might not think you're a slave today. But I wonder how compulsively you check your phone. I wonder how much TV we watch online. I wonder how often we look at porn. I wonder how much we eat. I wonder if we're addicted to comparing ourselves to other people. We might not be slaves to Egypt, but I bet we're slaves to other things. I know I can be. But I also know that Jesus offers you and me a way out of the things, away from the things that seek to control us. And I know that because of how he celebrated Passover. Now, Jesus was a good Jewish boy. It's likely that he celebrated Passover with his disciples every year they were together. And before that, he likely celebrated it with his family every year that he was in their home. But the writers of the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, sort of the, the, the pastoral biographies of Jesus written by people who were with him, eyewitness accounts, the Gospel writers only tell us about one time that he celebrated Passover with his disciples. One Passover meal with them. It's in all four Gospels, so it must be important. All four New Testament accounts of Jesus' life, the Passover meal they record is the last one before he's betrayed by one of his friends, turned over to the authorities, and executed as a terrorist. Let's read it from Mark 14. This is, it's, again, it's in every one. We'll read Mark's version. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go prepare the Passover meal for you? And then Jesus gives them some instructions on, what they're, on how they're going to celebrate it and where. We'll jump down to verse 17. In the evening, Jesus arrived with the twelve. As they were at the table eating, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of you eating with me here will betray me. And they really freak out. They're all kind of looking at themselves like, it's not me, surely. It can possibly be me. And Jesus says, yes, one of you will turn me in. And they feel sorry for the one who does. So the mood in the room is pretty somber by the time we get to verse 22. Verse 22 says this, As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take it, for this is my body. Now, pause there, because this is weird. What he says here is completely unexpected from what the disciples expected to hear next. That's different. All the Jewish disciples' eyebrows would have gone way up. What are you talking about? That's not what he's supposed to say. Those are not the words that explain the bread. Traditionally, the head of the household would take the bread, lift it up, and say, Praise be to the Lord our God, King of the universe, who causes bread to come forth from the earth. And then the bread is broken and distributed, so everyone experiences the blessing of God's provision. 
But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus passes out the bread and says, this is me. And then Jesus does something weird with the wine. Verse 23, and he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them, and they all drank from it. So far, so good. Totally normal. And he said to them, this is my blood. (laughs) What? Now, that, that would have been bad news to a Jewish set of disciples. What do you mean this is your blood? Blood was a big deal to Jewish people. And you were not supposed to drink it. He says, this is my blood. Which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. Jesus is messing with all the symbols. And he closes with, I tell you the truth. I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Now, why is Jesus doing this? If Jesus is the unchanging God, the God who still rescues the oppressed, who delivers the enslaved, who comforts the grieving, what is Jesus trying to say by changing up the Passover like this? He's saying a lot, but one thing is sure. He's saying instead of this food representing the deliverance of God, Jesus says, I am that deliverance. This feast, this meal, this symbolic food no longer just represents what God did for Israel in the Exodus. Now it represents what God did in himself for the final and permanent deliverance of his people. This is the unchanging God. The God who always wants to proclaim good news to the poor, release to the captives, and freedom to the oppressed, and the message that God favors you. Right after this Passover meal, Jesus is betrayed to the authorities, tortured as a terrorist, and crucified for sedition. Which means that right after this Passover meal, Jesus takes on himself the consequences of all your and my wicked actions and the sins of the whole world so that we can be delivered from our slavery to them. Jesus changes Passover to be the meal that marks the night God died so we don't have to anymore. This is the meal that marks the night that Jesus declared, I am your deliverance. If you want to be free, come to me. If you want to be forgiven, come to me. If you want to live the life that is really life, come to me. And let all who come to me take this bread and take this cup in remembrance of me until I come again. So that is exactly what we are going to do tonight. Ever since Jesus put himself in the Passover feast, God's people have shared this meal together, engaging all five senses as a community, 
to remember what the unchanging God has done to deliver us from the things that destroy us. So if the ushers could get ready for their stations, and if the worship team could come up, there will be four stations where you can participate in this meal. It's sometimes called communion, sometimes called the Last Supper. It's called a many number of different things in different traditions. There'll be four stations, two towards the front, two towards the back. And which one's gluten-free? Back center will be the gluten-free option. And as we sing, take the chance to tell the Lord what this meal means to you. Tell Jesus what you want to say to him by taking this tiny meal. And this is important. Some of you here tonight have not decided if you want to follow Jesus or not. And that is fine. This is an identification meal. This is an allegiance meal. This meal says, Jesus has saved me, and I commit myself to him and his people by eating it. So if that's not you, I would never want you to feel like you have to fake it by sharing in this symbolic meal with us. It's totally fine for you to just observe. On the other hand, If you do want to make that decision tonight, if you want to say, Jesus, I need you to deliver me. I need you to forgive me. And I want you to be in charge of my life. I want to be one of your people. If you're saying that tonight, then get some food. That's what this is for. So as we sing, whenever you're ready, if you want to declare your allegiance to this unchanging God, to embrace with all your senses what he's done for you. Then go to one of the stations and take the bread, and they'll say, the body of Christ broken for you. And then dip it in the juice, and they'll say, the blood of Christ poured out for you. And then you can eat it right there or back in your seat. It's up to you. So let me pray for us as we participate in this new meal that Jesus gave his followers. Lord God, we thank you for meals that mark significant occasions. They stick true things in our minds and our memories. And this is one we want to take seriously. This is one we want deep in our memory. Jesus, I thank you for this meal that reminds us of that you that you have offered yourself in our place, that the consequences of the sins of the world came on you that that means we can be in right relationship with you. And if we will accept that, then we get to be your people and we get to participate in this meal that reminds us, I was the solution. My body was broken for you. My blood was poured out for you so that you didn't have to break, so that you don't have to lose blood. Lord, I thank you that you love us so much that you would rather be tortured to death than see us come to permanent harm by taking this meal, by by taking this bread and taking this cup, we remember what you did for us. And we declare our allegiance to you. We love you, Lord. We do, we do. In your name, amen.